This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. And we're talking about the nature of true Christianity. Um, there's not much recap. There's a little bit of recap in this, but uh, if you are after some recap, just go back over the previous uh, previous sessions. And we're looking at the the thought of the centrality of death. And we were talking last week about how this is this idea is central to the Christian gospel message. Let's move on into Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 20. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, The Christ of God, the Messiah of God, the Anointed of God. And he strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Then it happened, as they were parting from him, that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. Now, Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Thank you for the reading Chris gave uh, and the words he shared. We praise you, Lord, for this text and the wonderful record of this encounter that the disciples had with Jesus on that holy mount. And so we ask you, Lord God, that you would bless our minds with understanding, Lord, that we might be changed and transformed by the power of your word. We thank you that your word is living and powerful, Lord. Help us to learn to discern it. In Christ's mighty name, amen. Praise the Lord. At the close of last week's message, we left you with a couple of thoughts, and that is that Jesus Christ demonstrated the pattern 
of biblical spirituality and that is demonstrated through his rejection, his crucifixion and his resurrection. And this was the theme of the discussion on the Mount of Transfiguration that the, uh, the disciples were there at that time uh, and uh, they were witness to this even though they fell asleep. But the record is there that Moses and Elijah were speaking with Jesus about his decease and the Greek states that they were continually speaking with him about his death. Now, this is a, a different perspective It's the antithesis of the world, uh, which message normally surrounds us, which is a self-centered message. It's one of taking care of self and being focused on self. In this world, individuals see themselves as the center of the universe, but here is Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah, and the conversation is about his death that is going to have to happen uh, at that time. And in the world in which we're in, this world denies itself of nothing, but central to the gospel message is that of death. It is is part of the gospel message, the death of Jesus Christ, his rejection, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. And so this is contrary to the world's view. The central truth, as we discovered, is that, uh, and in, in reading through Luke 9, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, so rejection, crucifixion, and be raised the third day. And there is the pattern of the central truth of the Christian gospel message, the rejection of Christ, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. But Jesus then takes that which is related to him and applies that as a biblical principle for those who will follow him. And he said to them, All, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So the pattern of biblical spirituality is that of rejection, crucifixion or death and resurrection or being raised. When we set this aside or minimize it, What happens is we take away the uniqueness of the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. When we minimize his rejection and his crucifixion, well then we could have any religious story and put our, uh, you know, and model that as our our religious uh, way. And in doing that, in minimizing his rejection and his crucifixion and his resurrection, this is no longer a Christian teaching. So let's remember that, uh, lest we fall into forms of sterile orthodoxy without that message. 
We are called to surrender to death in this present life. Jesus applies this specific situation and he applies the conversation that he's having in, in this uh, the context of scripture in Luke. It is applied to us. Verse 26 is a practical application of this idea of rejection, crucifixion and resurrection. For whoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him the Son of Man shall also be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. So this command of Christ is not limited to one situation. We, we can't just look back at Bible times and say, well, that was limited to them because back then, if you were going to follow Jesus, you may pay with your life. Many people in the 21st century are still paying with their life for following Jesus. You only have to travel into uh, foreign nations Communist nations, uh, totalitarian nations, many of the Middle Eastern nations, many uh, areas within Africa, and you will see that people are put to death for following Jesus. So the command to follow Jesus is not limited to a specific situation. It's to be the mentality of the Christian life, that you and I are ready, in fact, to be rejected, that you and I are ready that we might face death and that we will be raised by the Lord himself. So the pattern of biblical spirituality, again, is rejection, slain, resurrected. In fact, there could have been no there would have been no crucifixion of Jesus without his rejection by the religious leaders in the day, which was then used to, or they used the general population to incite a greater rejection of him across the community. He was crucifiable. There could be no resurrection of Jesus without his crucifixion and death. Luke 9, 25 and 26, for what is it, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and he himself is, uh, and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in, in his Father's and of the holy angels. So the central truth is that Christ's death is central to the gospel message. Our death is central to following Jesus. This raises the question then, am I giving my willing death real consideration? Is it just words on a screen, just words in a message? Or do we really give this consideration that you and I may actually face death for following Jesus. We, we just saw going around the social media um, a Christian missionary who was uh, killed just in the last few days uh, as he went into some isolated uh, tribal people 
who had a history of uh, rejection of the gospel. But he, 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 here's a man who has counted that cost. He, was, he gave this willing consideration, knowing what he was going into. And that is central to the Christian life. It should be part of our conversation. Is it? It should be part of our prayer. That we would, in conversation with one another and in prayer, be willing to lay our lives down for the gospel's sake. When Suzanne and I took, the, took our young family uh, over to Macau, we had no idea of what lay ahead of us. We, we had no idea, literally. We had no idea in general. But we had no idea of that. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'll tell you how much we had no idea of. You know, I got some tapes out of the library to try and learn Chinese. And, and uh, so I was learning Ni Hao, Wu Han Hao, all these kinds of things, these Chinese uh, statements. And when we got there, they all told me, we don't speak that dialect. So, um, you know, they, I had no idea. Literally had no idea. And so, uh, but the point is that we, we took our children into that situation and we really had to take that to the Lord in prayer because we did not know what was going to come of our lives in that time. And in fact, it was our second son uh, getting hit by a motorcycle out the front of our house, uh, got up from that uninjured, even though he was knocked back onto his back by the motorcycle and the motorcyclist came off his motorcycle and got up uninjured as well, riding in Chinese work boots, you know, flip-flops, thongs, uh, uninjured. And that's how we met our first interpreter in our church, or a lady who became our first interpreter and her family uh, through that. But if... If somebody had said to us, if we were having the Pauline experience going to Jerusalem and people stopping him on the way and saying, Paul, don't go, you're going to be arrested, you're going to be bound up and in prison. If somebody had said to us, don't go to Macau, your son's going to get hit by a motorcycle. Before we went, not knowing what the outcome would be, we might have second-guessed ourselves because of wanting to hold on to life. You see, the practicalities of the Christian life are... Are we willing to lay our lives down? Are we willing to die for Jesus? Do we pray for those we love that they may be indeed willing to walk in such a way? By the grace of God, through rejection and even death, like that wonderful Request by the Christian in Turkey, do not pray for persecution to stop, but pray for our strength to endure. Yeah, come on. These are people dying because of the gospel, because they are living it, who are saying, don't pray for the persecution to stop. Pray for our strength to endure. That is what Jesus is talking about here. That is the counting of the cost. That is the willingness to face rejection, death, and resurrection. You, you can't get to resurrection without 
the other steps. Think of the Ten Commandments. We're called to live a life of death by choice, that we would willingly follow the Lord even to death. You shall have no other gods before me. You see, if we deny that, if we deny this idea of the willingness of death and of personal death, we're saying, Lord, you're not the the God of my life. I'm in charge here. The second and third commandments, you shall make no carved images, shall not take my name in vain. We are by choice to die Die to making images, die to uh, the thought of blaspheming God's name. And this happens by many who name the name of Christ, that they live in such a way that their lives are a blasphemy to the name of Christ. Honour the Sabbath, we're to die to the thought of keeping all our time to ourselves. That I can just be the ruler of my own life and that my time is my own. You see, there is a very practical element to this. God wants us to honour him with our time. Honour your father and mother, die to the thought of our own authority, even within our homes as, as children and as young people, that there is to, there, God has appointed an authority over our lives. Uh, and, and so we're to die to this idea that we are in charge and that we can resist that authority that God has appointed over us as young people for our protection. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. Die to the ideas of vengeance. Die to the idea of of taking another person and satisfying ourselves in a wrongful sexual urge. We are by choice to deny ourselves of these things. You shall not steal, so we are by choice to deny ourselves of wrongful gain. You shall not lie. So often a lie is committed when we know that if we tell the truth, we are going to suffer some kind of rejection by other people. And so when we're asked a question, we defer to lying immediately in order to take away that that rejection that we may feel and you shall not covet shows that these negatives are not just related to outward behavior lying stealing committing the action of lust uh, or, 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 or committing the action of um, adultery but it is also inward. It's in the inward realm where the death really must happen. That our hearts are disciplined before the Lord by taking on this idea of death to self. This really, in reality, is the true death that the believers must live. That we would die to self. Our Lord doesn't intend that we can just delay until we lose all desires, you know, go and live on a, mon- on a monastery somewhere and, and deny ourselves of, of food and integration with people so that we can lose all urges and then somehow come back into the world. 
It's not. It's now that we are to live this. This is not futuristic. It's now that we are to live this. It's in this moment of testing. It's in that moment of testing. It's in this moment of living that you and I are to live this way. (coughs) We're to say no by choice. To die to self in the midst of a life that could want so much. In the midst of a world that, as we've said, denies itself of nothing. The world in which we live in that so eagerly chases everything it can get. It'd be interesting, wouldn't it, to see statistics on marriage breakdowns and find out how many of them were caused by one act of unfaithfulness. What is that? That is a person who is unwilling to deny themselves of something else and has not been honourable to their commitment forsaking all others, cleaving only to their spouse. Sadly, it even happens within the realm of the church. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. The order of events is rejection, slain, raised. For the followers of Jesus, this means rejection by the world itself. Many of you experienced that when you became believers in Christ and you know you, you go home and you tell your loved ones that you've become a believer in Jesus. They say, what do you mean? I've been born again. You're not one of those religious nuts, are you? And many people have experienced that, and that is the rejection immediately. And so, unfortunately, with the presentation of a soft gospel message that invites people to Jesus so that they can have all of their life fixed up, the very first experience that they often face is one of rejection. Young people who go to school and tell their friends, I've become a Christian, will experience that in the following years of school. Rejection precedes death and resurrection. Rejection is not a once-for-all thing. It doesn't just happen that one time when you go home and tell people or when you you know, go out on the street and you want to share the gospel with someone and they, you know, they get back in your face. I remember just as a, as a young believer having people tear up Tracks and and one time Suzanne and I were in Mooney Ponds and she handed a guy a uh, a track as he's walking past and he took a couple more steps and he's doing something he turns around he set it on fire and he hands it back to her and uh, and so Suzanne in her mild mannered way said hell's going to be hotter than that you know <laughs> and uh, and stuff so you know um, Christ has called his followers to take up the cross daily. 
not just Sunday. I take up the cross, I have to listen to those sermons. You know, it's not just Sunday. We accept Christ as our Saviour once for all, that's but we're justified and our guilt is gone. But after this, there is this daily living. You know, if ever a, a statement had true application, that live in the moment, living in the moment, that applies to the Christian life. We are to live in the moment. Each moment we are to be yielded to the Lord. Luke 14, verse 27, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. These are powerful words. It brings Christianity right back into the practical application of things. Rejected and slain daily. Take up your cross. As Leonard Ravenhill famously said in one of his sermons, and and you can hear it online, it's wonderful, wonderful preaching You know, you knew one thing about a man who was carrying a cross out of town, that he was going to die. And this is the idea of of the Lord's word. Whoever does not bear his cross, he puts the command in an intensely practical setting. In verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Some people say, yeah, that's easy, man. I hate my parents. That's not what he's talking about there. Jesus relates dying to self to even those closest relationships. He's calling on those closest relationships that even those relationships must must yield to loving the Lord. They must be placed in this position of priority in which the Lord comes first and that our love for him causes these other relationships to appear in such a a, a manner that it would look, it could even look hateful. This is where we must die. And these are going to be the toughest challenges of the Christian life is right down into people's homes. Luke 14, 28 to 30, For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. This is in uh, connection with the previous text. It's a unit tied together by Jesus himself. Counting the cost, 
he says, is part of the Christian life. And a proper gospel message does not avoid that issue. A a proper gospel message introduces the idea to people that they're going to have to count the cost if they're going to call Jesus their Lord. If they're going to yield their lives to him, they're going to have to count the cost. We are in an alien world. We should be aliens in this world. This world builds constantly upon its rebellion against God, thumbs its nose against God all the time. And even within ourselves, we're not entirely free from elements of that rebellion in this lifetime. We struggle with them. We battle with them. It's a very powerful challenge, isn't it, Luke 14, to count the cost first. When you go through the building process, that's what the bank requires of you, that that you can count the cost before they will take you down that road. We've noticed that Romans chapter 6 begins with several of these negative statements. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. This is not speaking of water baptism, it's speaking of immersion into Christ. If you were to take the word baptism, which we've come to relate solely in its usage to water baptism uh, through through wrongful use of the word, but the word is, because it's not a Greek word, it's not an English word, baptism, it's direct translation of a Greek word, baptizo, which means immersion. So if we were to put the immersion there, therefore we were buried with him through immersion into death. This is the idea of the gospel, that when the gospel is properly presented to people, that we understand in order to follow Jesus, my life has to be laid down even to death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead, how was he raised from the dead? After rejection and crucifixion, Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. So just as Christ was raised from the dead, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Where does that newness of life come from? After rejection and crucifixion. And so we might want to rush on to the walk in the newness of life thing as we present the gospel to people. God will give you a whole new life. Amen. Praise the Lord. Anyone who is in Christ Jesus is a new creation. One of my favorite verses. God will give you a whole new life. Praise the Lord for that. But we're in peril if we ignore the element of dying. This is central to the gospel message and it's central to the Christian life. We're buried with him by baptism unto death. We're called to be dead to sin. Baptized or immersed into his death. The way into Christian liberty, into this newness of life, is through that process of death and resurrection. Or rejection and death. Romans 6 verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, 
that we should no longer be slaves of sin. We have to walk through the first part to get to the second part. Our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. I wonder if sometimes we don't read the first half of verses faster and the second part a little slower. Our old man was crucified with him. That the body of sin might be done away. That we might no longer be slaves of sin. Hallelujah. We get good at focusing on the more positive elements. Well, it's a mistake if we do that because you don't get to the body of sin being done away and no longer being slaves of sin without going firstly through rejection and crucifixion. The moment we accepted Jesus as Saviour, we were justified. True guilt was gone once for all. True guilt. Praise God for that. True guilt. That's an absolute. Now, the lingering of, of guilt in this world may stay. There may have been crimes that somebody committed that have to be dealt with at the social level. There may have been sins that we've committed in life before Christ that that have to be dealt with at the social level. We may have damaged other people's lives and, and have to live with the impact of that. And many, many other Christians who, after coming to Christ, have had, had to go back and try to express sorrow and, and seek forgiveness from people because they know that in their lives they've damaged people's lives beforehand. That's an absolute... But if we want to know anything of reality in the Christian life, anything of true spirituality, it comes firstly with taking up our cross. The principle of saying no to self. Mums and dads, this happens in your family. God has called us to the serving of our children and once we bring children into the world, there will be many years of service required from us ahead. This lies at the heart of successful Christian living, that you and I are able to say no to the world. That is through dying to self. The world has many enticements ahead of us, And the way to say no to those is by being dead to them because dead people don't sin. Romans teaches that, Romans chapter 6. The principle of saying no to self is at the heart of our attitude to the world. I can use intellectual capabilities and capacities to make myself respectable to the world. I can try and impress people in the world and all that. But we have to understand this is a world that's in revolt against God. 
And so what's the... There, there, sometimes those things may be pointless. And if I just get the admiration of the world, I've failed in my Christian life. John Lennox is a great example of this, a man who is a phenomenal intellect. I think he has a couple of doctorates and teaches at Oxford and uh, um, in mathematics and philosophy. Um, and yet so many times, and you know, there are things that I may or may not agree with him entirely about in, in some of the stuff that he uh, believes and, and that, but they... they Essentially, a secondary issues many many times, and but one thing that is really wonderful about John Lennox when he gets into debates, very high-profile televised debates that have millions of views on online, that he always brings the gospel into it. Here is this man of such a high standing in the educational world who people openly mock because he holds to this simple understanding of the gospel, the death of Jesus, his burial, his resurrection, and new life found in Jesus Christ by repenting of sin and trusting Jesus to be our saviour. And so many times I've heard him present that, not always as thorough as I'd like it to be presented, but he's in time constraints in those kinds of situations, and he, he does a good job He's not trying to win the respect of the world in those situations. If I use talents, if you and I use our talents to try and impress the world and and get the world to respect us, remember, this is a world that's in revolt against God, waving its fist against God. This is a world that Romans 1 describes so wonderfully, a world that when they look at the creation around can truly know that God exists, but yet deny him. And if I just seek to get their acceptance, I've failed. Why? Because I'm called to take up my cross. That's the path for the Christian. That right there. It's in every part of our lives. Not only for conversion, but from conversion till glorification. From now to eternity. True spirituality doesn't stop at the negative of death. But without that negative of rejection and death, We're not ready to go on into the development of the Christian life, into where God would take us in growth in the Christian life. Because so much of our sanctification, so much of the the process of sanctification, the growth in sanctification in the Christian life is tied to that first of all, that we would lay our lives down and take up our cross to follow Jesus no matter what the world says, no matter how the world treats us. And that is at the heart of the centrality of death. This idea of death is central 
to the gospel message and it's central to the Christian life. And so next week we're going to move on from this idea through death to resurrection. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now, Father, we thank you for today. Thank you that we can be here. We thank you so much, Lord, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We praise you, Lord God, that the gospel in its simplicity is such a confronting message because it confronts us with who we are versus who we should be versus who your son is. And that you called us to be holy, yet we are full of sin. You've called us to love you, yet we waved our fist at you. We revolted against you. And in the midst of this, Lord, you sent your son to die for us. That he would take the weight of sin upon himself. That he himself would bear that sin in his body to death and be raised to newness of life because death could not hold him down. And so we praise you. Help us, Lord, to see that just as our Lord and Saviour was rejected and crucified in order to be raised to a newness of life, that we also must come to that point of understanding that we will be rejected by the world around us that we must die to self daily in order to move on walking in the resurrected life. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.